So this, these next two weeks, we're going to be talking about thorns in gospel work, or really uh, temptations that might distract us from being ambassadors uh, of Christ in our workplaces. So we're going to be covering different topics of, yeah, different temptations that probably all of us struggle with at some level, uh, some more than others. But ultimately, they are things that will draw our affections, our attentions, our focus away from Christ and being his ambassador in the workplace. And so Satan will use these things to distract us and ultimately will use them to try to destroy our faithfulness to Christ in the workplace. So it's helpful for us to spend a few weeks actively identifying them, actively calling them out, and then looking to Scripture and seeing what, how might the Lord uh, equip us through his word to address these topics so that, again, at the end of the day, we want to be his faithful ambassadors, both in word, proclaiming the gospel, but also in displaying the gospel so that God is glorified and so that our non-believing colleagues can come to know him. Uh, and even our believing colleagues, if, if you're fortunate enough to have believing colleagues in your workplace, that they can be encouraged and become all the more, spur, spur one another uh, on uh, to, to love more and more, as Paul puts it in Th- Thessalonians. So this week we're going to be talking about pride, fear of man, and then there wasn't really a great definition, so I'm going to caveat it with apathy slash idleness. <laughs> so neither definition of apathy or idleness fully kind of encapsulates what we'll talk about, but I think pairing those together will be helpful. So we'll just, we'll go through one by one, and then we'll have some time at the end to uh, to reflect and then pray, asking the Lord to help us fight these things with the power of Christ, uh, and then pray for our colleagues as well. So pride, pride in the workplace. How did you get to where you are in your career? What did you do to accomplish where you are right now? Take a moment to think about that. How did you get to where you are in your career? Another question might be, what would you say is your biggest accomplishment of your working life? What's your biggest accomplishment of your working life, and how did that come about? What things come to mind quickly? Well, if you're like me, your heart will be quick to recall how hard you worked in school to get the grades you needed, to get to the school that you needed to get into to set yourself apart from your colleagues. Or your heart will be quick to think about all the extra hours you put in during the early years of your career to set yourselves apart from your colleagues. Or you might be quick to think about your unique skills and talents that enabled you to climb the corporate ladder in the certain way that you've been able to. But on the the flip side, did you reflect on all the people that God put in your path to help you along your journey? Did you think about how God provided you with not only the breath in your lungs, but the capacity to learn what you needed to actually do your job in the first place? Did you think about how God created you and gave you those unique skills and passions so that you could actually do your work with excellence? This list of God's provisions that enabled us to actually put us where we are would be endless. But my heart particularly is more prideful, and I'm more prone to the first list of thinking of all the things that I did to check off the box to get where I am today. And because our hearts are especially prideful uh, in our work, if we don't actively fight pride, Satan will destroy not only our our own life, but also our ministry and our witness in the workplace. So just a definition for us to consider is pride is a disposition that exalts and relies on self rather than exalting in and relying on God. So pride is a disposition that exalts and relies on self rather than exalting in and relying on God. Uh, Webster puts it this way, it's undue confidence in and attention to one's own skills, accomplishments, state, possessions, or position. But ultimately, it's a focus on what we can do, what we have done, 
what we want to accomplish rather than recognizing that God is the one who gives it. God is the one who provides the strength, and ultimately it's for God uh, and for his glory. So we're going to reflect on two scriptures uh, this morning, um, and then we're going to talk a little bit about really thinking about what does what destruction does pride actually produce in our work, uh, and then we'll reflect upon how we actually fight it. So first scripture is Proverbs 16, 18 through 19, if we want to turn there. Proverbs 16, 18, 18 through 19, and if somebody wants to read that. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before fall. Nice tennis. So hold this intention with the next scripture that we're going to look at, which is Philippians 4, 4 through 8. So Philippians 4, 4 through 8, and I'll read this one. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on, the, on a cross. So what does destruction, what destruction does, prize, does pride produce at work? Well, ultimately, kind of a, a, a broad level, pride will destroy our witness of Christ's humility at work. Pride will destroy our witness of Christ's humility at work. One of the most beautiful aspects of the gospel is the humility of Christ, which we see in this Philippians 4 passage. God, from eternity past, who created all things with a few words, humbled himself to become like us in every way, as Hebrews 2 uh, even goes further to explain. He put on flesh like us. He grew up like us. He worked like us. He suffered like us. And that list goes on and on. And then even when his own children uh, were unable to recognize him because of our blinded hearts, Uh, When they mocked him, they spit on him, they beat him to a pulp, and then they crucified him. He humbled himself to that end. But his humility didn't end in humiliation. It ended in exaltation. So Jesus was raised from the grave, proving that his sacrifice was sufficient and that he defeated death fully so that his rebel children, us, might be found forgiven and found in his love. So the humility of Christ is this beautiful Uh, part of the gospel, which he made himself low so that he could raise us up, even though we were the ones who were mocking him and denying him and rejecting him. Without the humility of Christ, we would be dead heathens, but through his humility, we can be forgiven, adopted, and secure before the Father. And ultimately, our colleagues need to see his humility. They don't need to see our humility. They need to see his humility. And our lives at work have the ability to paint small portraits in some way for them to, to see his humility, to, for us to mirror his humility. Not completely, but hopefully enough to spark conversations about the humility of Christ. But when our colleagues see a pride uh, in us that boasts of ourselves, that forgets others, forgets our colleagues, and that is confident only in ourselves, they won't see anything different than any of the other colleagues that they're around. And so if we, if we are like the world and we're operating out of a prideful spirit, they're, they're not going to notice anything different. But if the Spirit of Christ is producing humility uh, that, is, that is only produced through him in us, they might see glimpses of how beautiful the gospel is and the beauty of the humility of Christ. So just real practically, how does pride uh, prevent, us, uh, prevent others in the workplace from seeing Christ's humility at work? 
just have four four examples, and then we'll kind of open it up for more more discussion. Uh, number one, so think about when you when you miss sales targets, or you miss a project deadline, or you don't hit your quarterly goals. What might your pride produce in that moment? So if you if you quote unquote fail at some aspect of your job, what what might pride produce in you towards your colleagues that would prevent them from seeing the humility of Christ? Any thoughts? Yeah, 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 blame shifting. Oh, this person didn't do X, Y, Z. They failed. It wasn't me. Yeah, exactly. General irritability. Yeah. Yeah. Rather than, all right, let's figure out what we can do next time to sort of be mad. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and even, even not even coming to them and saying, okay, hey, guys, here's what did, what did I do wrong in this situation? How could I have improved to, to better support the team in that moment? Yeah, it causes defensiveness. It causes blame shifting. And it also showcases our idol of performance and potentially even money as well uh, if we're crushed in spirit because we failed in that moment. It, it might show that we actually care more about how we're perceived by others or because we didn't hit that sales target, we're not going to get that bonus that we thought and that actually reveals that our that our hearts are idolatizing money. Um, just a real quick caveat: uh, ambition isn't necessarily pride. So I think that's helpful to distinguish because, especially in DC culture, I think a lot of us uh, have have good ambitions and a drive to do good quality work, and drive and determination to do a good job for your employer for the glory of God is a good thing. We just must be careful to constantly check our motivations and ask the Spirit to, to reveal in us, Lord, what are my motivations for X, Y, Z uh, as it relates to our job. And so, yeah, we want to separate pride from ambition, but ambition could there could be a prideful ambition at play. Also, I think real practically, and I'd, lo- I'd love your thoughts about this, but pride prevents us from praising God for His providence and grace in our lives and in the workplace. And in line with that, it prevents others from thinking about how God is actually sovereignly working in and through our work. So if we're quick to just praise ourselves and to be self-focused and to think we did it and never give any glimpses of credit to God, and I'd love your thoughts on how we actually do that well together, but our colleagues will never think anything other than, oh, Justin's just really good at his job. Rather than if Justin was constantly pointing little glimpses or uh, giving little uh, kind of acknowledgments of like how God was providing in those situations, they might actually start thinking about the ways that God is the one working in and through Justin. Um, and so, yeah, we don't want pride to prevent us from, from, from praising him for his providence and grace. And so, yeah, I think real practically, like when we're getting to know our colleagues and we're sharing our stories with them, or we're just getting to know them deeper, or we're talking about different projects, uh, don't leave out some of the ways that God has been the great provider uh, in your life. And so even as you're getting to know a colleague and you're sharing about what school you went to and how you got to this place that you are in your career or, or, uh, um, or even sharing about a project, you can insert little phrases like, oh, like when I was at school, I was, you know, I was surrounded by this really great community that really helped me in this situation. And Or you could talk about how a guy at your church helped connect you to this person who provided this opportunity for you to be at that. There are little phrases and ways in which we can actually point people that, no, no, God is the, the sovereign one. He is the one who's working in and through us. Um, and this goes in line with our, our the next topic, fear of man. But we will be, I have been oftentimes uh, prone to leave phrases like that out or to not give credit to God uh, because I, I am fearful of their response to that. 
And so it's a little bit of, of pride and fear of man. And we need to be careful. Like anytime you hit a goal, we're not just being like, glory to Christ in the email. Maybe you can do that in your workplace. But I think it's more, it, it's, it's going to happen in more like regular one-on-one conversations over lunch where you're just giving credit to God time and time and time, uh, time and time again. Any thoughts on that or examples that you've seen either in your own life that God's produced in you or colleagues that you've seen do this well? God, brother. Yeah, it's amazing. And we'll, let's pray for that brother at the end, too, that God will continue to work in and through him. Any other thoughts? Yeah, just, I, it, just so much of our culture is, you know, about, in American culture especially, is like, hey, work hard, earn it, like, American dream, like, you know, and it's all about, like, hey, you put in the time, you put in the effort, you reap the rewards, and, like, we kind of like to hear that story of, like, yeah, I put in the time, and I worked hard, and I spent late nights and early mornings and just worked myself to the grind, and, like, we like to give an attaboy, girl to that, but it's very humbling to just, like, recognize God's providence mm-hmm. in it all, and it, it takes away from that, you know, self-boasting, self-exaltation in it. Yeah, it, it's... So when people are, yeah, tell me, you know, how you end up where you did, and you're like, God, you know... <laughs> Yes, there was effort and there was like work that was put into. There's so much providence, like where I was born, the family I was born into, like the schools you get into that like you have some say over, but it's you know ultimately some admission guys making a decision. (laughs) You know, it's like all these things, like who you meet and when you meet them, and you know where you end up, and um, and like without recognizing all that, you know, yeah, we can tend to be very prideful, but it's. It's, it almost feels like when you're when you're telling your story in a really humble way, like someone's gonna think less of you. They're mm-hmm. like, oh, you've just been so blessed, and you're like, well, I have. Like, yeah. Um, but 
it's about yeah giving the Lord credit and not wanting it, it yeah it really ties in with this fear of man and being like well, I, I really want you to think highly of me so yeah. I don't want to like trickle in stuff so you think I'm, I'm pretty awesome but it's like really the Lord's awesome and yeah. I just get to receive some blessings but yeah yeah, it's good, brother. And it, it will be confusing. Like when we when we share these things, or even in you know, probably that one the other guy. Like it was like that was strange. Like it's going to come across as like very countercultural. But that those are the seeds that God is going to use to hopefully you know eventually bear fruit. So we just is, need to be faithful so in that. Like, yeah. Like, you just like start with like yeah, the Lord has been so good, and people like what? yeah. And but that that seed will kind of like because it's so strange, it catches them off guard. Yeah. Well, I even I even think like you know uh, this isn't a perfect example, but uh, there are many brothers and sisters here who have went to very prestigious uh, uh, law schools, uh, and when I'm getting to know them, they they never even mention those schools. They just they're just sharing their testimonies of how God's been working, and yeah, they're in a you know a firm that is highly regarded, but the way in which they've talked about it, I've found out from other people where they went to school. And I think that's just the, that's another example of giving the glory to God of how he's, he was the one sovereignly carrying them through those situations. Now that was church member to church member, but that can be applicable in the ways in which we relate to our colleagues as well. So Eric. I was just thinking of what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, um, 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Mm. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them Though it's not I, but the mm. grace of God that is in me. That's good. What, what is that? That's 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15.10. Yeah, and I think, I mean, one small example, when I retired from the Air Force, you know, um, I had this little like, shadow box they gave me. It's kind of embarrassing. It's got all my ribbons and medals and everything. And Kate kind of humbled me, too. She's like, well, it looks like you, like, you know, fought in some famous battle or something. All those ribbons, you know. <laughs> I was, like, not finding things I've done. Hmm. Um, but at the bottom, I put... Um, you know, uh, Roman from Romans 11, just because I wanted, like, if anybody sees that, it's like, you know, everything I had is from him and through him hmm. and to him. That's good. Be the glory. Yep. Um, so, yeah, it's just recognizing that because cause it is kind of kind of embarrassing sometimes when you, you have like a thing on the wall hmm. about your achievement. Hmm. <laughs> like, well, your I love me wall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good, brother. Uh, well, real quickly, I think two more ways. Pride blinds us from loving our coworkers around us. Tim, I even think this goes into your example of like, pride has this ability to always be thinking about us in the moment and what we need to do and, and what we need to get done that day in our strength. And so if you've been operating in that kind of mentality, you probably, you might not even heard, have heard the, the conversation that they were having, or you could have just been like, ah, I gotta, I gotta go, like, I gotta do this thing, like, I've gotta get this done. And so the humility that Christ produced in you gave you the opportunity to hear that, to see that opportunity, and by God's grace, take advantage of that. And so, yeah, pride will, will actually blind us from seeing the needs of our colleagues around us. And this goes with the fruit of the Spirit as we're thinking about asking the Lord to produce kindness and generosity towards our colleagues and patience. Pride will blind us from, from that ability to do that. Just to be clear, I've walked past that guy a thousand times. He said hi to him a bunch of times, and I think I was completely blind. That's okay. Well, and and praise God for His patience towards us and His grace towards us. And so, yeah, this is this is all of these things are a continual work in progress of sanctification, and and it's only because of His patience that we can, 
yeah, he gives us more and more opportunities to, to be found faithful. So, And then lastly, I think this is significant, but pride prevents us from having joy in him. I think there's a, uh, yeah, there's a joy that when Christians humbly are living in the Father's strength and living uh, and relying on the Spirit for strength, that they have a joy, especially when things aren't going well, um, that when, when we're prideful, uh, we will have a joylessness. And that joylessness, not happiness list, but joylessness um, will prevent others from seeing where our hope actually lies uh, and where our hope is actually found. So we're going to move to how can we fight pride at work? Really, this Philippians passage, I'd say number one, and this is the most important, savor the Savior's humility. We need to be people who reflect often and meditate often on the humility of Christ. Um, And when we're meditating and and reflecting on the humility of Christ, by His Spirit, He will strengthen us and just ask us, Lord, make us like Jesus. Make us like the suffering servant who came, who was made low to raise us up. And so the more and more we think about Christ's humility, the more and more uh, it will draw our hearts to just ask Him to produce us, uh, that in us. So savor the Savior's humility. Secondly, be people who praise Him for His providence. I think Taking time on Friday every week to look back on the last five days and just ask God to reveal all the ways in which he provided for you behind the scenes or in which he gave you the grace to engage that colleague like your boss. He gave you the, the ability to, to, um, to approach him and have that hard conversation or, or the doors that he opened for, for that particular project or that thing that you've been working really hard on and then actually praise him for it. I think if we get into a regular rhythm of taking the time to reflect and then praise him, that will just become more and more uh, of, a, of, a, of a practice that enables us to see, okay, it's, it's the Lord <laughs> working in and through me. And then lastly, confess your pride to both colleagues and fellow Christians. So if there's a moment where your pride causes you to lash out in anger or causes you to blame somebody for something that went wrong when actually it was probably your fault in the first place, confess to them that is countercultural. people will not do that in today's workplace because they think it will be it will make them look weak and if you come to them and be like hey i handle that situation really poorly that is not how i want to that's not a the, the man or woman that i want to be and you can i mean you can uh expand as much as you want on that in that moment uh but ask ask for their forgiveness i'm sorry will you forgive me for that that will be a moment that will set you apart and hopefully the lord will use that to open doors and be like wow that person why did they do that? Uh, and then also, uh, let's be people that, that quickly confess uh, to, to, to one another uh, in the church uh, where, where we're struggling with pride at work. Um, any further thoughts or reflections on pride before we move into something very closely linked, which is fear of man? Something just real quick that goes with the joylessness in Christ because of pride. I think the dangerous flip side of boasting of what you have or where you are is unrighteously Mm-hmm. Not, um, and I've found that to be a, a very sinful expression of pride in my own heart. Mm-hmm. Um, just the temptation of like, oh, I should be somewhere else, or I, I should be some, doing something else. Um, and then it's just yeah, so sinful because mm-hmm. uh, I, you know, anything that I have is so much infinitely more than what I deserve already. Mm-hmm. Um, so just the, the Lord helped me see that was, and repent of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's real good, brother. Yeah, the, the pride of thinking that we should be at a greater level or have a different job or something that is more in line with our passions and gifts 
can actually produce in discontentment, uh, which discontentment, <laughs> people will not see the Lord in our discontentment. So that's, yeah, that's, that's good and that's convicting. Thanks, brother. Well, let's, let's talk about fear of man. So fear of man is endlessly striving for the approval of sinful man rather than resting and working from God's sure grace towards us in Christ. So I'm going to read that again. This is just the definition that uh, I found helpful. Fear of man is endlessly striving or anxiously, I'd say anxiously striving for the approval of sinful man rather than resting and working from God's sure grace toward us in Christ. So there's those two spectrums. You're either anxiously striving to be known and to be celebrated by man, or you're actually peaceful and restful and you're able to work from a posture of God's already done it. Therefore, I'm free to serve him and free to serve others. Well, what does fear of man lead you to? What does fear of man at work lead you to? Does it lead you towards overworking because you're constantly wanting to uh, be approved of by your boss or your colleagues? So much so that you don't have time left to faithfully serve your family or your church body? Does fear of man lead you to fudging the numbers to get ahead or you're in a you're in a uh, a meeting where you're pitching your product or your service to a potential client and you can just high level gloss over some of the things uh, and make things seem uh, much better than they actually are so that you can hit that target and impress your colleagues are you quick to to blame shift when things go bad because you don't want to be seen as the one who made the mistake does fear of man lead you towards cowardice in sharing christ with your coworkers because you're fearful of what might happen to your job if you share the gospel, even outside of work with your boss or your colleague, and they report it, and you get fired, should you still share the gospel? Does fear of man lead you towards endless anxiety and worry, where you're never actually at peace at work? Does it lead you towards joylessness or flattery, trying to get ahead by puffing others up, even if there's something that probably doesn't uh, uh, deserve uh, praise or recognition? Well, we're going to look at Peter, who very much struggled with the fear of man, and then something happened, and then, by God's grace, uh, he struggled with fear of man significantly less, though he probably still struggled with it uh, the rest of his life. But it's so significant, and it happened in a short period of time. So uh, we're going to read Mark fourteen sixty six through 72. So if you want to turn there real quick, Mark fourteen sixty six through 72. And if, Justin, if you want to read that, that'd be helpful. But in this passage, we're going to see Peter living in a state where he fears man, so much so that he denies Jesus in front of a servant girl because he is afraid of what man might do to him if he associates himself with Jesus. He is so fearful that he denies Jesus three times before this little servant girl um, because he's so afraid of what man might do to him. And so Mark 14, 66 through 72. You also were with the Nazarene, Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again he denied it. And after a little while, well, the, after a little, a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself. And to swear, I do not know this man whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed the second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. Hmm. But then a little, uh, little while later, a few short months, we see Peter in Acts 4, 
5 through 12, and I'll read this, but if you want to turn there, Acts 4, 5 through 12, Peter is boldly proclaiming the gospel in front of the high priests who could have very easily put him to death for what he was about to, to share with him. And so Acts 4, 5 says this, And the next day their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Anas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. So you got everybody who's important in the Jewish faith here. And when they had set him in the midst, they inquired, By what power or what by what name did you uh, did you do this? Referencing uh, Peter, uh, the Lord, healing uh, uh, the man at the gate called Beautiful. Uh, verse 8, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to you all and to the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no, under, no other name under heaven given among men by which we, we must be saved. So Peter is boldly proclaiming, he's saying, you crucified Jesus. Uh, you were the one who rejected him, yet God was merciful, and, and he's raised him up, and he is offering new life. And so what happened in between Peter denying Jesus to this servant girl to all of a sudden boldly proclaiming the gospel to uh, all the important rulers? Well, simply put, it's Jesus' death, resurrection, and victory over sin that is in between that gap. And so that is what redefined things. Peter saw the risen Jesus and knew everything had changed. And obviously, you know, uh, I'd encourage us to all to go back and, and read the account in John of, of Jesus restoring Peter and, and asking him, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep three times. But Peter saw the risen Jesus and knew everything had changed. His life was no longer his own. He was bought with a price. And so previously he thought that if he associated himself with Jesus, he might be killed. And that was too much for him. And so he denied Jesus. And now he's like, nope, my life is no longer my own. Jesus has shed his blood for me. I've seen him. I'm going to live my life for him. And now he, he will do as he sees fit. I, I need to be faithful. And so when we submit to Jesus as, as Lord, he alone has the right and the power to tell us who we are. No one else can do that. He has told us that we are forgiven, adopted, accepted, that he loves us, cares for us, and strengthens us. And he will persevere us uh, until he calls us home. And so Peter was operating out of that mentality that it doesn't matter what the high priests do to him. Because ultimately he is secure in Christ. And that redefines everything. And that redefined how he responded, boldly proclaiming the gospel to these people um, who could have put him to death. No coworker can give us one ounce of value or satisfaction that compares to the overwhelming grace of God in Christ. So our coworkers, our boss, the CEO of the company, the president, it, does, it literally does not matter. Nobody can give us one ounce of value or satisfaction that compares to what Jesus has done for us. And the enemy wants us to believe that we need the approval of others. And he often wins in our hearts. At least he wins in my heart often. Uh, and when he does, he steals our joy. Uh, and he steals uh, the opportunity for, for others and our coworkers to see the freedom uh, that we're able to live in because of, uh, of what Christ has done. So when we're, when we're tempted to fear man at work, simply put, let's look to the risen Jesus. Let's look to the risen Jesus. Let's look to the risen King who gave up his life so that we could find ours. Therefore, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, uh, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. If we just meditate on that verse many times throughout the day, 
of he who loved me and gave himself up for me, that would redefine our posture uh, and our ability to uh, relate to our colleagues and to not coward uh, and shrivel in fear uh, and trying to improve them, uh, be approved by them. And so ultimately his love and presence are infinitely better than anything that man can give us. We're no longer defined by what we do, but what he has already done. So we're free to serve uh, in our workplaces for the glory of God and for the good, good of others. And so let's, let's be people who quickly recall this great truth of Jesus rising from the dead and, and redefining our future, but also be quick to cry out to him for help. Let's have the humility to cry out to him for help. So just some, some practical examples. Uh, there's, there's millions of these, and hopefully next week when we're sharing examples of how the Lord produced uh, in us the ability to fear him alone rather than fear man, we'll, we'll, we'll hear more examples of this. But when your boss asks you to travel for the fourth week in a row uh, or work another Sunday to hit a specific goal, feel the freedom in Christ to say no. Ultimately, you have a duty and a command to gather with the Lord's people in worship, especially in D.C. when it's go, 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 go nonstop. We need to be people who, who, who have the freedom to be like, all right, I, I, I must gather with the Lord's people and I want to gather with the Lord's people. And so if I'm in a job that is constantly pulling me away from that, there may be a season and a, and a time and place where that happens occasionally, but if it's constant, uh, we, need to be, we, we need to maybe rethink how we're going to address that in the workplace. Um, but fear man, oh, Dennis. I was going to say, fear of man might prevent us from doing that because we'll be too fearful to potentially lose our job or, or the consequences that might happen because we're not willing to do that. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and, and I think, you know, maybe even deeper, and I'll speak for myself, it's like this idea of we want to fit in. Everybody kind of wants to fit in, you know, and, and we spend that much time at work, you know, there's a work culture, and, you know, you, you want to fit in. So along the lines of the, the passage that you just said as a reminder, um, I have found over the years that it's very helpful to remember and be reminded through Scripture that my citizenship is in heaven. That's good. It's yep. not on this earth. That yep. we're sojourners right now, right? And so this idea of fitting in here is, you know, this is a foreign world. This is an alien land. Like we, we are here. We're, we're, you know, we're in the world, but yep. not of the world. You know, yeah. citizenship is, is in That's heaven. That's good. And maybe we need to sojourn in a different job if it's constantly <laughs> putting us away from. Uh, uh, gathering with the Lord's people. So yeah, that's, that's good. Our citizenship is in heaven. It's not to a company or to a boss. Um, the next time a religious conversation occurs over lunch or at the water cooler, don't shy away from boldly proclaiming Christ. I mean, do it in the right place, in the right context, in the bathroom, 15 seconds in the stall. Yeah. <laughs> but boldly proclaim in wisdom, knowing that you fear God alone rather than man. And if there is a strong likelihood that your colleagues will act differently after you share the gospel. But ultimately, they need to know that truth more than you need them to like you or relate to you in a certain way. Um, the next time a project doesn't go as planned or you miss a specific target or goal, be quick to humbly ask for feedback on how to improve rather than blame shift or slander your colleagues. There's... Uh, yeah, think of more examples and ask the Lord to produce that in us this week, and then we'll share next week because uh, I want to save some time for praying. So, um, Lord, uh, help us look to the risen Jesus so that we might fear you alone and not man. All right, lastly, apathy and idleness. And again, there wasn't a great, there wasn't a perfect way to define this, so we're going to go with both of them. Um, what part of your job or set of tasks do you least enjoy? What are the most bo- what's the most boring part of your job that you you just despise? 
And what, bar, what part of your job barely uses any of your specific giftings or hits on any of your interests in the workplace? Do you do that task with the same level of fervor and excellence as the parts of your job that you most enjoy or are skilled at? Do you do that, that, that task, that uh, mundane, boring task with the same level of excellence that you do other parts of your job that you enjoy? Or when you're doing that particular aspect of your job, are you prone to just getting it done as quickly as possible just to check the box? Yep, I did it. Even though you know well in your heart that you didn't, you didn't give it your full attention to detail. Or do you just not do it at all and expect another colleague to do it? Are you distracted when you're doing it, just scrolling through the internet or sparking conversations just to distract the time instead of actually doing it wholeheartedly? Uh, this happens to me, but if you're in a meeting that you're like, this meeting is pointless, uh, are you just quick to just let your mind wander and not engage and not actively participate in the conversation because you're like, ah, oh, this is... When I was at IJM, there were so many inefficiencies in certain meetings that I was... I just. I just didn't speak because I'm like, this is a waste of my time. And that was not a good posture. I should have been actively engaging and, and, and looking for ways to improve uh, the meeting that I was a part of. But I was too distracted by how I would have been doing things better than the person who was leading the meeting that I didn't actually do my work while I was apathetic. I was idle. So we're going to be tempted in our work towards apathy and idleness. And particularly, I hear, you know, I spent three and a half years working with college students and they asked me tons about you know, career options and career paths. And every time I was like, well, I just want to do something I'm super passionate about. And I just want to do something that makes the most impact in the world. And I hear this from people who've been in the workplace too. The reality is in our broken world, there's going to be in every job that we have, there are going to be many things that we just don't like, tasks that we don't like about our job, things that are mundane, that we're not passionate about, that we don't even know what this produces in the long run. But God has sovereignly assigned those tasks to us. And oftentimes those tasks are going to be tasks that people don't even know what, like to the extent to which we're doing them. And so are we going to do them before the Lord faithfully um, to serve him and to honor him, even if it produces no earthly value for us? Or are we just going to be idle and apathetic and, and sit by? And so um, just, a, just kind of a helpful definition, I think, is apathy or idleness is intentionally shirking responsibility for aspects of the job that God has sovereignly assigned to you. It's the shirking of responsibility for aspects of the job that God has sovereignly assigned to you. It's driven by a pride or a laziness of this task is beneath me. I shouldn't be doing this. I went to school for something much greater. Therefore, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to pass it along to a colleague. Or we just don't do it well because we don't like doing it. It's like, ah, I'm just going to, I'll just check the box. Um, I think apathetic or idle work disregards the omnipresence, the omniscience, and the sovereignty of God. If we're not actually realizing like, God is with us, he knows all about our, our thoughts and our attitudes at work. He sovereignly placed us here. When we're apathetic or idle, we're just disregarding that. <laughs> He's actually not here. He's not caring about what I'm doing in that moment. It doesn't display the excellencies of Christ to our colleagues. If they, if they see us shirking these really mundane, boring tasks, what are they going to think of? What are they going to think of Christians? What are they going to think? How, how are we uh, showing them how we think about work in those moments? Uh, and ultimately, apathetic work is a form of stealing taking that which we did not earn. So if we're going to get paid for something that we've half-heartedly done, that's a form of, of stealing uh, as well. We're going to look quickly at King David, who shirked responsibilities, which led to more sin. And I think the shirking of responsibility actually identified what was in his heart. Uh, he was idle and apathetic in his walk with God, uh, which affected his work and actually destroyed many aspects of his life. And so 2 Samuel 11, I'm going to fly through this. So it says this, in the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, 
David sent Joab and his servants with him in all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. So just to point out that little phrase in the first sentence, the time when kings go out to battle. So David should have been going out to battle with his troops. But it says he remained at, uh, he remained at Jerusalem. And then it says, it happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch. So he's not in battle, but he's at home chilling on his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house. He saw from the roof a woman bathing and the woman is, was beautiful. He sent and required about, ultimately... He calls for Bathsheba, who is not his wife, um, and he abuses and rapes her. Um, uh, uh, And then, verse 14, later in the chapter, he goes on and covers up his sin by killing her husband, uh, Uriah. So David's apathy at work ultimately revealed his, his apathetic heart towards God and towards his walk with God. He was idle in both work and he was idle in his walk with God. If he had been active, like if he had, sure, he could have not gone to battle, he could have trained his troops well, that's one thing. But if he had been home and actively in the word, in worship, in prayer, he would have had the weapons of which to fight his lust of Bathsheba and not give in to that adultery in that moment. And so ultimately, we see that that apathy in his walk from God produced apathy in his uh, in his work, which led to egregious forms of sin that had severe consequences in his life and even in the kingdom of, uh, of Israel. And so, uh, there's, yeah, uh, another passage to reflect on would be the parable of the talents and the, the third servant. Um, he had a, a wrong view of his master, which led him to be like, ah, I'm not going to do the, the work that he's actually assigned to me. And he shirked responsibility and he got, he got rebuked for it at the end. So I'd spend some time thinking about, thinking about that as well. So how does apathy harm our gospel witness at work? Any, any thoughts on that? Or idleness? Both hands. If you go to a personal career, it's very clear. The people who do their best on the small details when no one's looking, they just they separate out. And, and when you see someone who professes to be a believer consistently has those errors that show up in the long run, Yeah, that's good. Yeah, and it shows our pride rather than the humility to say, yeah, I don't like this task, but I'm going to do it because God has assigned it to me. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, this this begs for further discussion, but my I was talking about this with my dad this week, and he's like, I struggle with perfection, so am I being apathetic when I don't pursue perfection in every aspect of, of my work? And he, he's a pastor, so he's got a lot of, you know, we all have different responsibilities at work, but we're not going to be able to, to do every part of our job to the, you know, nth level of detail that we want to. But there is this level of, hey, in all things, we're going to do it well uh, and have our consciences clear before the Lord of like, yep, I did this task to the best of my ability. Uh, I'm going to focus, you know, more time and attention on some things that are probably more important you need to get done. Um, but it doesn't necessarily mean you're not pursuing perfection at work all the time. And that, that's a, I think that's a different struggle that we can cover. Uh, so just some thoughts on how do we fight apathy at work. We just need to be quick to thank God for assigning us that work to do. <laughs> it's a privilege and an opportunity that he's given us. So those mundane tasks, let's, let's thank him for it. Let's meditate often on God's omnipresence, his omniscience, his sovereignty. Uh, and let that actually redefine how we, think, how we, how we are working 
And then lastly, let's identify and write down those tasks that we're prone to approach uh, with apathy or idleness. And, and ask a brother or sister to hold you accountable in those areas. Every week, you're going to be doing those those things. Ask your, your spouse or a close, close friend be like, Dan, how'd you, how'd you do uh, with these, these three things? That, did you do them for the Lord this week? Uh, or were you idle? Um, so all in all, as we think about pride and fear of man and apathy, uh, let's be people who savor the Savior's humility. So let's, let's reflect and meditate on what Christ has done for us and being made low so that we can be raised up. Let's reflect on the truth of that he is the risen king. He's not the, the dead king who died for our sins. He's the risen king who's victorious. And that redefines our identity so that we can fear him uh, alone. And that he sovereignly assigned us this work. Uh, and he knows uh, our thoughts and our attitudes, even in the tasks that we don't like doing and that we find boring. But we, we need to do them for him. And so display uh, yeah, the excellencies of Christ to our colleagues. So with that... We're going to pray for those that want to stick around. Um, uh, yeah, we're going to pray. Let me pray real quick, and then we can we can uh, pray pray here. Father, thank you for your grace towards us in Christ. God, we thank you that He has, through His life, through His death, and through His glorious resurrection, uh, secured our eternity, secured our hope uh, forever. And we thank you that uh, He alone redefines. How we, how we work and how we approach our work. God, we, are, we confess we're prone to pride. God, we're prone to, to viewing our work as we can do it and we got us here in the first place. God, we, yeah, we lay that down and we, we confess it and we ask that you might produce in us the humility of Christ so that our colleagues might see his humility and the beauty of his humility being made low so that they too might be raised up. And Father, we we confess that we fear man, we fear their approval more than boldly uh, being witnesses and ambassadors for you at work. So Lord, we we confess that. We ask that you might help us fear you alone. Uh, And Lord, yeah, we confess that we do not do every task that you've given us in our workplace with the same level of excellence that we approach other tasks. Uh, and we know that you see them and you know them and you, you want uh, our full full attention and our full heart serving you. And so, Father, might you help us in those boring tasks, serve you faithfully and do them well for your glory, uh, not our own. Father, we, we thank you that you are faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so, God, we, we ask that you might help us in these areas this week. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.